We're happy to make podcasts available for selected ed webinars for your listening pleasure. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information. So hello, everyone. I'm Lisa Schmucky, the founder of EdWeb, and I love coming on and welcoming Julie Evans, the CEO of Project Tomorrow, and the panel of students that you're going to hear from today for this great presentation, Julie, that you do every year, the Congressional Briefing. Um, and this year, it's celebrating 20 years of Speak Up Research. Amazing, isn't it? I know, from CDs to AI, and I remember even earlier than CDs. <laughs> so those of you I'm in the chat, too. if you remember before too. CDs, <laughs> let us too. know. So Julie, we've known each other for a long time, as you know, we said, and it's just great to partner together. Um, we love featuring each month some of the research that you're doing to push out the results that you have and, and give that visibility. But I really wanted to ask you, I, I talked a little bit about what sparked the founding of EdWeb. So 20 years ago, you were the founder of this research project. What, what, what caused you to initiate that? Oh, Lisa, that's a great question. So um, for some of us, and I know there's many friends here in the audience that can think back to 20 years ago, I can remember distinctly being at a conference, a face-to-face -face conference, Lisa, right? Hearing a panel of adults talk about what kids wanted in their learning experience. And I looked all around the room. There weren't any oh, kids in the room. There were no kids in the room. So it was adults reflecting on what they thought kids wanted from a learning experience, particularly around the use of technology. But they were speaking from their own context. They were speaking with their own lens on the world, with their own perspective. And I thought, well, that's silly. Let's just go and talk mm -hmm. to students directly mm -hmm. and hear what they really want what their authentic feedback is, what their non-no-spin zone ideas <laughs> might be, rather than having that filtered through an adult perspective. And so that's what led to the very first Speak Up Research Project, which was funded in that very first year by the U.S. Department of Education as input to the National Ed Tech Plan for 2004. Oh. So uh, look at how this has evolved since then we had the and we have a new tech plan coming out too i think we have and i think you're involved right. in that aren't you we have been project tomorrow yeah. has been involved in helping collect the voices again of key stakeholders to inform the brand new national ed tech plan it's been quite a quite an honor to do that work again well i can't wait to see what the new plan says this year i always just love you know reading reading all of that and i remember when it first said that social networks were a good thing i don't remember which year that was but there was a point in time when they said you know that was that was good well i am going to turn this over to you i'm going to join the chat join our friends there and um, i'm going to gather questions from the chat as well and help you with a q a at the end that's great lisa thank you so much well again folks it's wonderful to be here and many thanks again to EdWeb for supporting this fabulous event each year for the last four years. We're really thrilled to have this opportunity to share with you some of the insights from the Speak Up research. And then as was mentioned, I have a fabulous, absolutely amazing panel of students that I'm gonna chit chat with. And then we're gonna take some of your questions for them as well. But to start off, we do have a guest speaker. 
Nicolene Lazar is the Vice President for External Affairs at Charter Communications. Spectrum Enterprise Charter Communications has been a Speak Up sponsor and partner for many years. Last year, we created three different Speak Up reports with them and launched those out into the public space so that people could be informed from all of this. Now, unfortunately, Nicolene could not be here with us in person, but she did send a video. I'm Nicole Lazar, VP of Policy and External Affairs at Charter Communications, and we're honored to be part of Project Tomorrow's annual congressional briefing and to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Speak Up Research Initiative. Your hard work and advocacy to advance the innovative use of technology to better serve the nation's students is to be commended. Charter is a leading broadband connectivity company and cable operator we provide superior high-speed internet, video, mobile, and voice services under the Spectrum brand to more than 32 million customers across 41 states. I wanted to share a few examples of how we partner with community leaders to address broadband access, affordability, and adoption gaps. Charter's Spectrum Enterprise team provides scalable fiber connectivity solutions to schools, school districts, and libraries of all sizes, and is a certified provider in the E-Rate program. Here at Charter, we recognize that broadband access is essential for education and more. So we're undertaking a multi-year, multi-billion dollar rural broadband initiative to bring gigabit high-speed broadband infrastructure to nearly 1 million unserved customer locations. To increase adoption and access to technology, we offer philanthropic support to community organizations that provide computers, digital education classes, and technology labs for thousands across the country. We look forward to continuing to partner with organizations like Project Tomorrow, and we're here to support you as you empower tomorrow's innovators, leaders, and educators. Our congratulations to this year's Speak Up Award recipient, and we look forward to the rest of the programming. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nicolene, for being part of this, and thank you to the entire Spectrum Enterprise Charter Communications team. It's been wonderful working with you. So let's get into it, folks. Here we are. This year's Congressional Briefing sort of a special edition because we're going to reflect a little bit on 20 years of Speak Up research. And we're looking at this through the perspective of from CDs to AI. We're going to start off, I just want to give everyone a little bit of background on Project Tomorrow and the Speak Up research, just in case you're not familiar with it. Then we'll do that reflection. And in particular, I took a very deep dive into looking at our data over the last 20 years, somewhat of a walk through memory lane, folks, if you can imagine. And what I pulled out for us to talk about today are some pretty significant shifts that I was able to see, not only in the activities, what we're doing with technology in our classrooms today, in our personal and private lives, but also the attitudes and aspirations and how those have changed over time. So we're gonna use that as sort of the foundation for our conversation today. But let me be honest with you, as I went through that analysis, looking back at the data from 2003, zooming ahead to 2009, taking a look at what we were talking about in 2014 or in 2019, right before the pandemic, it was really interesting to me because an ongoing theme kept coming up. And I 
refer to it now as unfinished business. We have new things to talk about, definitely, but we've got to close the gaps in some of the unfinished business that we started over the past 20 years around digital learning, but maybe we haven't finished up that last mile. So we'll talk about that as well. Throughout the presentation today, we're also going to have the opportunity to hear from our student panelists who will be joining us shortly to have an opportunity to hear from them as our experts. Then we'll have an opportunity to hear from you. I love getting your questions. I know our student panel will as well, as well as hearing your insights and your ideas, your interpretation of some of the data findings. Then we'll close up today and um, share with you some additional resources. So we do have a fabulous panel of students here. I'm not gonna have them introduce themselves at this point, but I want you to know who's here with us. Uh, Finley is here. She's an eighth grade student from Washington State. Bailey is here from California. She's also an eighth grade student. Lane is joining us from Kentucky. He's in 11th grade. And then Asa is here from Alabama, and he's a senior in high school. Uh, we'll be talking more with them in just a moment. So a little bit about Project Tomorrow. We are a national education nonprofit group. We've been supporting K-12 education since 1996. We're particularly focused in, from a mission standpoint, on understanding how to translate research into practice. Now, lots of people talk about that. We dive deeply into understanding about what that means in terms of helping our K-12 leaders and leaders throughout our systems develop new leadership capacities. And we have sort of this unique perspective on this, this idea that the voices and views of K-12 stakeholders, students, teachers, parents, administrators at all levels and community members can actually be a very valuable asset for not only stimulating change, but painting a picture of what the future could look like. So that's really where Speak Up comes from. We do a lot of research around the impact of new learning models. Models, but of course, most people know us because of the Speak Up Research Project. So each year what we do is we create a series of online surveys and make those surveys available to any K-12 school or district that wants to use them to collect feedback from your own stakeholders. Again, students, teachers, parents, administrators. This is 100% a free service that we facilitate for schools and districts, again with this idea about how to translate research into practice. And to do that, we give you a set of tools to help you do that work as well. Now then we take the national data from all the schools and districts that participate with us, and we create a series of national reports, infographics, briefings such as this to be able to inform education decisions. The types of topics that are covered through the Speak Up surveys are broad and they're very timely, they're topical. We do talk each year about the use of technology, both in school as well as out of school. And we also dive into what students talk about in terms of their preferences for learning experiences, what teachers say they need from professional learning, what parents are concerned about regarding their child's future. From time to time, we also have asked questions about career preparation and skill development, social, emotional, and mental health considerations, and also communication issues. It's a very large data set. 
Since 2003, over 6.2 million students, parents, and educators have completed a Speak Up survey. So it's quite a lot of data to go through, not only on an annual basis, but to look at it longitudinally. And since we facilitate Speak Up every year, it actually constitutes the largest data set, particularly of authentic voices from students about their experiences using technology. Now we have some wonderful sponsors that helped us this past year in terms of supporting this work. I already gave a shout out to Charter Communications Spectrum Enterprise. My friends at iBoss have been a fabulous partner. Some of you may be familiar with the dedicated cybersecurity survey that we uh, put out into the field each year for the last three years with them. Our good friends at Agile Education Marketing support so many of our efforts. And then of course, Lisa and the entire team here at EdWeb, such great partners to work with. We want to give a, a shout out and a little bit of love to all of our innovative associations and nonprofit organizations that also support Speak Up over the past year. Thank you so very much for your support. Now, here's the thing, folks, I mentioned before, we create each year a series of reports, infographics, briefings, presentations, all sorts of different types of digital assets that you can use to inform your work. All you have to do is come here to tomorrow.org to get access to these reports. Now this year we're doing something a little bit differently. Rather than having one giant size report with all the key data findings, we actually are gonna do four separate Speak Up research project reports. One on student data findings, one on teacher data findings, administrator data findings, and then the results from the parent and family surveys. We are so excited. On November 7th, I'll be releasing the student data findings report in conjunction with the CETA Education Forum that's taking place during that same time. It'll be a virtual release, so you'll all get access to that. And then you can see that for the teacher findings will be at FETC, the administrator data findings at AASA in February, and then the parent and family data findings will be released in March at South by Southwest EDU. Okay, folks, let me take a moment here just to reflect on these 20 years. It's really been fascinating to have this opportunity from a Project Tomorrow standpoint to not only facilitate the process by which schools and districts can learn about the views of their stakeholders and value those as assets, but then also to be have access to all of that data to reflect, to ponder, to consider the future of education. And how can we look at that research and see what that means? But the most important thing that I want to recognize here today as part of our 20 years of facilitating Speak Up is to say that we continue to be dedicated to the voices of students, parents, and educators as assets. And so for today's presentation, I want us to keep in mind the value of actually listening, responding, and then acting upon the voices and views of our stakeholders. As I said, 20 years, that's a long time, but I love this particular uh, phrase, I guess, or quote, I just found it. Uh, Don't get stuck in your past, use it to fuel your future. 
And that's really the way we're thinking about this. But you're going to have to give me a little bit of liberty here. You're going to have to humor me a little bit because I do have a question for you. I know my friend Lisa is going to love this. In 2003, what do you think students reported to us was their most used mobile device? Now, for some folks that are with us today, they probably cannot remember 2003. Maybe they weren't even uh, students at that point. Uh, but what do you think? Go ahead and put it in the chat. What do you think students report as their most used mobile device? So I'm seeing a couple interesting things coming up. An iPod. Oh, yes. Interesting. Very interesting. Motorola Razor. I had one of those, Jordan. How fabulous. So uh, keep the thoughts coming, folks. I'm going to move ahead here and tell you not only what we reported on, but in fact, what I had the opportunity to go on CNN and share as part of breaking news. It was a CD burner in 2003. That was what most students said they had as a mobile device. Really fascinating, right? So uh, for some of our students that are with us today, we probably have to have a sidebar conversation and explain to them what a CD burner is. Uh, but as, as I said in the, a moment ago, we're not going to belabor the past, but we're going to use it to fuel our future going uh, into the new era. So as I said, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at some of these paradigm shifts in education. We're going to take a look at some of this data and be able to um, move it to the future in terms of things. So in sifting through all of that different research and looking back over all those different years of our data reports, I picked up six things that kept coming up as themes that I thought might be interesting. In our reports, we're going to go into a lot more detail, but I'll give you a little bit of a summary going forward here. The first thing is that, and this one's pretty obvious, we've had dramatic increase in the access to digital and online learning tools within education. Take a look at this particular statistic. So right now, from our data from this past school year, 91% of teachers told us that, in fact, the students in their class have one-to-one -one access to a device, some type of digital learning device. Uh, it could be a tablet, it could be a Chromebook, it could be a laptop that they have an assigned device that they can use, whether they are in second period English, fourth period biology, and in many cases, they have the opportunity to take that device home. Now look at this reflectively though. In 2019-20, prior to the pandemic, when so many schools and districts made investments in devices to hand out to students to take home, um, that was 54% in 2019, teachers said the same. Going back to 2014-15, which for some of us doesn't seem that far away, only one in five teachers say they were teaching in a one-to-one -one classroom. Now, beside the mere facts of much more investment in technology, of course we need to be thinking about what does that mean in terms of the usage? What does that mean in terms of what students are actually doing with devices in the classroom? Well, one of the things that I also saw in my reflection on the data was that when we talked about technology 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, it was always kind of on the side. So we would do our instruction and then maybe we would go and take a look at 
some interesting photos that we found online. Maybe we would use Google Earth to go and take a look at the Great Wall of China. Maybe we would look up some information, maybe on Wikipedia even, right? But it was always on the side. It wasn't integrated within instruction. And most notably, what we've seen over the last couple of years, in fact, is that technology is empowering the adoption of so many new learning models, personalized learning, competency-based learning, project-based learning, hybrid learning environments, virtual learning during the pandemic. That has moved from being sort of that uh, side plate to being on the main, main course. Now, the other thing that I saw in my reflection was that we've also changed the way we've been defining or redefining the why for digital learning. Now, we've always been concerned about students' engagement in learning. We'd never want to have the photo on the left. We're actually more interested in having those same levels of engagement that students are seeing when they're using technology outside of school. But when I look back at 2016 and we asked school leaders, what are the benefits of students using digital learning devices within the school day? 83% say that it increased student engagement and learning. And it wasn't that it was just 83%. That was in fact the primary reason for a district leader, school leader, or even a teacher to embrace technology in their classroom. Now let's fast forward ahead with the results from this past school year. Now when we ask school leaders, this is school leaders again specifically, what are the benefits of digital learning? Here's what we find out. It develops future ready skills for students. It makes lessons and learning more interactive and participatory. It enables personalized learning. It supports deeper learning by the students. And yes, it does an it does increase student engagement. But the conversation is much richer now. I can remember back in 2016, talking to educators and saying, engagement is great. We love engagement. We know all the research on engagement and student outcomes. But let's put a comma after engagement when we're talking about technology, not a period. And so now we're seeing that we have a much better definition, a fuller definition about the value that technology brings to the student's learning experience. We also have seen that this in this conversation around what is the purpose of technology, that we're seeing connections to the development of students' future-ready skills, just as our school leaders noted. I've looked at so many different graduate profiles or portraits of a graduate, depends upon what your district might call it. And there's such a nice, interesting call out of those future ready skills, those college and workforce development skills and the use of technology so that we are, again, not just redefining the why statement, but we're actually thinking about the purposes associated with technology use that helps teachers understand not only the benefits of integrating technology, but how to use it more effectively in a very intentional way. The fifth one that I wanted to bring up to your attention is this realization that technology empowers student learning on a 24-7 environment. It's not just that learning happens from 8.30 to 2.30 in a schoolhouse, in a classroom, but rather that it can happen anywhere, anytime, particularly if students have access to technology.
Now, I wrote about this concept of 24-7 learning by students in my book that was published last year called Free Agent Learning. This idea of how students are using technology outside of school to self-direct learning around their own passions, their own curiosities, their own desires for learning. And in fact, two-thirds of our middle school and high school students say they're regularly engaging in these type of learning activities. That's obviously something we have to pay more attention to. And then this last one that I wanted to share with you, and we had started talking about this actually around 2009, 2010, and continued to build on it, was that in looking at all the data findings, particularly around students' aspirations for using technology, but beyond that, students' ideas about what was effective learning for them, where did they have the most meaningful learning experiences, what we've come up with is that, in fact, the students have their own vision for learning and that this vision for learning has four key characteristics. One, that the learning experience is socially based. What we hear from students over and over again is the desire to be in co-learning environments with their classmates, with their teachers, with students and teachers and other places, with experts, with professionals really expanding out their knowledge base, but to do it in a collaborative environment where they're contributing to the result. The students also talk about learning that is untethered. Now they don't use that word, untethered. I'm giving you the summarized version of this. What they mean by that is not, I just want a laptop or a tablet or Chromebook that I can take home. What they're really talking about is their very um, comprehensive understanding that the world is filled with knowledge and insight and expertise, information, learning potential that they want to have access to and that they don't want to feel limited by the resources in their community, the types of uh, tools that their schools can provide, or even the knowledge of their teacher that they have access to all of this worldwide um, wealth of information and they wanna be able to bring that into their learning experience as well. Also, this idea that the learning is best if it is contextually rich, if it has a connection to the real world, if it's involved in helping them support skill development. We're gonna talk with the students about this in a moment. And that the learning is more, most effective for them when there is some element of um, self-direction, where they have the opportunity to have uh, independence in the way the learning process uh, reveals itself or is facilitated. Now, that doesn't mean, folks, that the students want to come in, well, some might come into, um, you know, fifth period algebra and say, I don't want to learn algebra today. <laughs> but it may mean that as we think about learning experiences, giving students the opportunity to develop some agency and to have an opportunity to direct the path of learning. So as I said, these are really interesting paradigm shifts that, that we've been going through over the last couple of years. The reports will go into all these in much more detail and give you some of the additional, additional ones that we didn't have time to talk about today. But what I'd like to do at this point is just summarize very quickly the six points. Increase student access to technology, technology empowering new learning models, 
Engagement's not the exclusive why for digital learning anymore. And there's so much more of a greater focus on the purpose. Students are using technology to extend their learning. And in fact, they have their own vision for effective learning. And of course, the question is, are we listening? So I'm going to give you that opportunity right now because I'd like to call into our um, conversation our student experts. It's great to have um, my four student experts here with me. Now, folks in the audience, I have some questions for the students. Then what's going to happen is I'm going to come back, share a little bit more data findings, and then we're going to have another conversation with the students, and then we're going to have some Q&A with you. But I'm going to start off with the questions. But first, we need to get to know our students. So I'd like to have each one of you introduce yourselves. Tell us what grade you're in. Uh, tell us the name of your school. And then also, um, well, we'll stop right at that point at that point, right? So we'll stop right there. So uh, introduce yourselves individually. Go ahead, Lane, why don't you start? Hello, I'm Lane. I attend West Jessman High School and I am a junior. Okay. Finley? Um, I'm Finley, I attend Isquah Middle School and I am a Thank you, Finley. Bailey? Um, my name is Bailey. I go to San Alejo Middle School and I'm in eighth grade. Bailey? And Asa. Bailey. Hello, my name is Asa. I go to Dora High School in Alabama and I'm a senior. Wonderful. Uh, so we have students from four different parts of the country, which is fabulous. And audience, just in case you are not aware, all of these students are actually in school. They're coming to us from their school. Some are in their principal's office for good reasons. So you, we may hear some school bells. We may hear some announcements. This is all real stuff. All right, students, here's my first question for you. I would love to know what's your favorite class in school this year and why it's your favorite class. Who would like to start? Um, I can. Okay, Finley. Finley and then Bailey. Um, Go ahead. Okay. My favorite class is ASB. It's associate student body and it's really fun. We make posters and it's, I feel like it's just like the perfect class for me. I'm really creative and I love like helping around school and I'm vice president of my school. So it like it's like new to me and I love just helping around school, making it a better place. Great, Finley. Thank you so much for sharing. Okay, Bailey. Uh, ASB is also my favorite class. Um, I like to help around the school and be more collaborative with everyone that wants to make like school a funner, better place for everyone. Thank you, Bailey. And just in case our audience doesn't know, ASB is um, student government. So uh, both Bailey and Finley are part of their student government at their middle school. Okay, uh, Asa or Elaine, you wanna share? Uh, go ahead, Lane, you go first. My favorite class this year is my AP US history class. Even though I really don't like history that much, I'm just not, I, I just don't excel at it like I do at some other subjects, but my teacher, Mr. Rodriguez, he is just super awesome. He really cares and he makes the class exciting. I, so that's my favorite class. Thank you, Lane. I have a follow-up question for you, but I want to hear from uh, Asa about his favorite class. Yeah, definitely. This year, or I guess this semester, really, my favorite class is probably my robotics class. 
Uh, my school recently started robotics, and the teacher there is really encouraging, really urges us to be innovative and creative and do what we want to do, which is build machines. Fascinating. What type of robots are those, Asa? What type of things um, are you I think I think they are the... I think they come from a company called Vex. You make them and they you can use them in competitions and stuff. We haven't gone to our first one yet, but I think we're going to very soon. So I'm excited about that. Oh, that's exciting. So students, a very interesting selection of different classes that you talked about as your favorite. And Lane already kind of teed us up a little bit, because, and, and so did Asa, because you brought your teacher in that class into the conversation. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. What, what makes the role of the teacher important in a classroom? Go ahead, Asa. Well, a teacher is just, the teachers are such a, a key asset in the classroom because they're the ones teaching and talking, you know, most of the time. Uh, so a teacher can really make or break a classroom setting for almost any class. Uh, if a teacher is very encouraging, hands-on, engaging, and real supportive of the students, that's great. It's a fantastic teacher. But you can also have teachers that maybe um, discourage certain aspects of the classroom and you know just make the class not as fun. But the teachers are such a, a pivotal part of the classroom, I think. Thank you, Asa. Uh, panel, any other thoughts about the role of the teacher? And Asa sort of said it kind of can make or break the class for you. Is that true for any of you? Uh, yeah, that is very true. The teacher can really make or break, like, let's say, your day, your week, your whole entire year can really make an impact on how much you like that class or that subject. Thank you, Bailey. I saw two other hands go up, Lane and Finley. Uh, go ahead, Finley. Why don't you start? Um, yeah, definitely. These, like, as Asia said, they talk, like, almost the whole class period. So it could be your favorite subject, but, like, the teacher can just ruin it all for you because it's not fun for anymore. Like, in a class, like, you're learning, but you want it to be fun. So if it's not fun, then you just feel like it's just, it's not your favorite class anymore, it might become your least favorite. Fair enough. Blaine? I think there's a lot of value in how the content is delivered. Um, for example, my history class, like I said, I don't enjoy history very much. Memorizing dates and places and events and relations is just not something that I'm great at. But for example, we were learning about the Second Great Awakening in the United States and my teacher he pulled, he picked a student to come sit up front on the anxious bench, which is a reference to, um, oh, I can't remember the preacher's name, but it was just like as an example to pull us into what we're learning. That's super interesting. So I did want to talk students a little bit about um, engagement in learning. You saw some of the, the comments that I made about engagement, particularly around technology. Can you think of a particular class, and Lane, it may have been this, this AP U.S. history class that you're talking about, but can you think of a um, class or a, a learning time or a learning experience when you were super engaged in what you were learning? If you could think about that, 
maybe tell us a little bit about that super engagement time and what made that so engaging to you. Maybe paint a picture for us of that experience. Go ahead, Asa. Yeah, um, a teacher or like a time in the classroom that was really engaging to me was my probably my 10th grade physical science teacher. Uh, she was super enthusiastic, very encouraging, really, really cared about our education, about us learning. She um, mixed and blended, I think, technology and traditional like paper and pencil stuff very well. And we always seem to do some hands on which I, I love doing hands-on stuff. So it was great that she could engage, at least she engaged me the whole time during her classroom. Um, but I, I always enjoyed her class just from all that stuff. So there's some elements there of hands-on, but then you also said the teacher themselves was very caring. So I think that's, that's interesting. Um, other students, other ideas about what, what makes a class engaging? Go ahead, Bailey. Um, definitely like the teacher being more collaborative with the students and understanding like how they work well with paper or technology and definitely how the students like to collaborate or like who their friends are and all that kind of stuff. That's great, Bailey. Thank you. Anyone else on this topic? Uh, go ahead, Lane. Then Finley. We'll go Lane first. I find that the classes that were like the moments I've been most engaged in are often without technology. In my calculus class this year, um, we we use very little technology. It's mostly just us. Uh, we have a small class, us, my teacher, and the whiteboards. And she was drawing a connection between what we know about slope and graphs and about um, she basically connected the dots to show us how to take the slope of some line on at any point. And the way that she taught it and like just connected all the dots and kept like pushing us to work with her to get there, I found it really engaging. That's really interesting, Lane. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that example. Finley? Um, so last year, like Lane said, history isn't my favorite. Like I didn't like get it that much. Like it's just not like the best things, like memorize things like that. But last year, our teacher, we had like simulations like every month and he like really involved us in it. And I think it's really important. The teacher isn't talking, but you are too. And you're also getting involved in the class. So it's not like they're talking, you're writing things down, but you can talk to them and you can contribute to the class. Oh, that's really interesting. So uh, having, again, as I mentioned before, more of a component where you're involved in the process not just uh, hearing a lecture. Great, thank you students. Um, talk to us a little bit if you can, share some insights about the role of technology within your learning process. Do you find that it gives you certain benefits? Are there things that you really like about using technology? Are there things that you don't like about using technology within your classroom experience? Who would like to share? Go ahead, Bailey. Uh, I personally like using technology. I think it's a fun way that um, everyone can also collaborate on because you can know you can like share documents and all that stuff. And you can also get other people's ideas easier. 
um, and people are more freely to speak their mind of what their ideas are for class. And but there's also like bad benefits of using technology in class, like uh, like internet, um, someone not having their charged Chromebook for class, and things like that. Thank you, Bailey, for giving us both sides of that. Who would like to share? Who else would like to share on that? Go ahead, Finley. Um, I think there are some benefits, like sharing documents is a lot easier writing down. But in my LA class, my advanced LA class, we do book talks. So right now we're in like a reading unit. We do book talks. But there's an option that if you don't want to talk, like I get some people don't want to talk, but you can do it online. And sometimes all the people just do it online. So it's not really a book talk. It's like a book write, basically. And we, start, we don't like, like I said, I like to engage in the class, but we don't get engaged that much. So oh, that's sometimes interesting. There's like technology for good reasons, but then for some classes, you don't need to use it that much. I have a follow-up question on that, Finley, but let's see if um, Lane or Asa want to jump in on this part. Go ahead, Asa. Um, I think technology uh, is great, especially coming from COVID, where we basically had to use technology all the time in the classroom just to learn. Um, I think I learn much better with paper and pencil, personally. I just like to have, you know, something that I can hold, something that I can write with. Typing is a whole lot easier. Don't get me wrong. I'd rather type an essay than write an essay any day of the week. Um, but it's just something about having that physical, hands-on aspect of a classroom um, that really engages me. Um, regardless of the class. That's really interesting. Thank you for being so candid with us, Asa. Um, Lane, any thoughts on this? No, okay. Um, my follow-up question is, because um, there's been a lot of conversation, I know I've had a lot of conversation with teachers and with principals and with district leaders about this. Do we think we have a good balance in our classroom between the use of technology and hands-on activities or the use of technology? And as Finley said, the opportunity to have conversations with folks, maybe about the books that we're reading. Are we in a good place from a balance standpoint or are we out of balance for some reasons? Do you have any thoughts, students, about that? Bailey? Uh, yeah, so like... In most classes, I definitely use the computer more. Um, like in my history class, we're mostly on computers and ELA and science. But then there's other classes that you don't need a computer to do your work. You can do it on a whiteboard or on paper or anything else that isn't technology. And is that okay for you? Do you feel comfortable with that? Yeah. There's a you have to use paper for like most stuff, but yeah, also computers work too. Okay, thanks Bailey. Finley, did I see your hand go up? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think there is a good balance for some classes, like for like LA, for unit, I don't think we need technology at all. I think we can write down what we think and we do. Sometimes we use it. I don't think it's needed. And like Aja said, I also learn better when writing things down. But for like LA for like writing, I would much rather write 
on a laptop and type it than write it down on paper. So there's like, there's a balance, but for some we do and then some we don't. But sometimes we like switch it up and we like for the ones that we don't do and for the ones that we do. Thank you, Finley. Thank you. All right, students, um, what we're going to do now is I'm going to do the second part of the data findings so that you can listen to those and then we'll get back together and I've got some new follow up questions for you. So thank you very much, students, for um, sharing your perspective so far. So that was fascinating. Thank you so much, students. So now I want to get into that section where, that I started talking about a moment ago with this unfinished business. So we went through and looked at some of the things that are changed, some of the things that are different, where we've made great accomplishments, great achievements. But let's talk about some of the unfinished business that still exists around uh, how we're improving learning using technology. And I want to talk about it sort of across three vectors, access, usage, and value. And again, folks, we're going to go back to the students then right after this data bit. Um, so let's talk about access. There's been a lot of conversation um, for many years about the homework gap. Remember, that was the term that was um, phrased by the FCC chairman, Jessica Rosenworcel, to talk about when students didn't have access to technology outside of school and that they were not able to do homework or other types of projects. Now, we were talking about that prior to the pandemic. We got into the pandemic and, of course, in many schools and districts, all schooling was taking place virtually. And so students had to have some sort of access at home to be able to continue to participate in their education process. Before the pandemic, during the pandemic, and after the pandemic, uh, through the Speak Up research, we poll students on the, on the question of, are they sometimes, at least sometimes, impacted by the homework gap? Prior to the pandemic, our numbers were around 13, 14% of students that told us that this statement was true for them, that they agreed with this statement. It is uh, concerning, of course, to look now and see that in the 22-23 school year, 19% and 21, 19% of middle school students and 21% of high school students, just about a fifth of our students say that, in fact, sometimes they cannot do schoolwork when they are outside of school because they don't have access to the internet. Now, this isn't just about access to the internet. This is about having convenient, appropriate, safe access to the internet to do true learning tasks. As our teachers have become more sophisticated in the use of technology themselves, they are more likely to be expecting the same for their students. I believe that's why we're seeing these higher numbers. Now, when we ask students though, how often are you using the internet or getting online to help with homework and schoolwork, we continue to see very high numbers, particularly on a weekly basis. As you can see here, two thirds of middle school and high school students say that at least weekly, they are going online to help with homework or schoolwork. But the next part is really interesting because we ask students, so what device are you most likely to use for schoolwork when you are outside of school? And 59% of our middle and high school students told us it was their own personal smartphone. A little bit more than a quarter said it was the school-provided Chromebook. We also asked about laptops and tablets, personally owned devices, as well as school-provided devices. And so this, is, this, I think, complicates this conversation around the homework app. We know that students have 
high, at least there's a high percentage of students that say they do have a personal smartphone. It might not be the latest and greatest, but it's got internet capabilities. And yet that's the device that they're going to, to use for schoolwork purposes. I do think this has to do with access points and having internet access at home, having access that is beyond just Wi-Fi in a parking lot, school parking lot, or in um, a McDonald's or Starbucks. Now, students also face challenges with access in their classroom as well. This is a question that we've been asking on the Speak Up Research almost since the beginning of the project itself, which is understanding the obstacles or barriers that students face when they're trying to use technology at school. It has been notable for us that over, I would say probably about the last five or six years, this has been the number one obstacle that students talk about. The internet is too slow or it's unreliable in their classroom. I know for any of our technology leaders that are here with us, you would say, now wait a minute, we've made such investments in our network, in our infrastructure. Um, let's also then talk about the fact that we have more students that have access to devices in school. Remember, I showed you that statistic. We have teachers that are using technology more often. And so we need to think differently about those access points and what that really means in terms of ensuring that technology is being used effectively to support learning. We also, though, want to talk about how that technology is actually being used in the classroom. Uh, Lisa and I were chatting a little bit about the new National Ed Tech Plan. We've had the wonderful privilege of working with our good friends at CETA, as well as Learning Forward and Innovate EDU and Whiteboard Advisors on the development of this year's National Ed Tech Plan. And we had lots of conversations with folks around the way um, we are approaching the use of technology in the classroom. Are we designing the appropriate types of learning experiences? Are we thinking about usage beyond passive usage and really thinking about how to support students in their creative pursuits? So every year that we've been polling on this, excuse me, <clears throat> students have told us that the primary way that they're using technology in their classroom is to take online tests and assessments. Um, we see very high numbers of that. But this year, the students also reported that they are most often on a weekly basis to use a learning management system or to watch an online video. Now, these may be very good uses of technology, and I can think of different ways that this could support student learning, particularly if we have a very active discussion. It's highly participatory around what they're watching is that online video. But I'm looking for more. This is part of this unfinished business. I'm looking for students to be creating content, not just consuming content. So we also asked about how frequently students had the opportunity to use digital media tools where they could create different types of content to substantiate what they know, to be able to represent knowledge, to be able to explore new areas of interest. And it um, was concerning to us that we saw only 13% of students in middle school and high school say that they were using these tools at least weekly. Um, so we have a disconnect here. We have much more technology than we've ever had before. We have definitely um, 
enhanced um, perceptions of teachers regarding the value of technology. We have more tool access than we've ever had before, but it could be that our technology use is still primarily in support of adults and we're not really getting into the content creation components that students value so much. Now we asked students because of this conversation around the purposes of the use of technology, we asked students to talk to us about what type of skills do they say they need to be successful in the future. And this is a really interesting list. Now there's lists that come out, we collect this data from parents, from administrators, employers talk about the types of skills that they think students should develop as well. But this is interesting to look at it through this perspective. So the students tell us the number one skill they think they need to learn or to develop to be successful is how to learn on one's own. Then the idea of learning with different types of people, teamwork and collaboration skills, there's creativity skills, followed by critical thinking and problem solving and time management and organization. We're gonna talk with our student experts about this in just a moment. And when we asked students to talk to us about the value of using technology, what does it mean for them? What impact does it have? What type of outcomes does it offer to them? It very closely mirrors the types of skills that students have identified as being important. The opportunity for students to learn at their own pace is considered by many students to be a benefit of using technology, that they're in control of the learning process that they have the opportunity to collaborate with other students more easily, and they're developing the types of future-ready skills, creativity, critical thinking, and problem-solving that we know are so highly valued. And we also know that when we say to students, so think about the school of the future. What type of tools do you think should be in that school of the future? And of course, students talk about having access to devices. They talk about some of the things that um, we've already been talking about today with the students in terms of their types of learning experiences. But I thought this was a really interesting list, maybe of some emerging tools or some things that aren't totally um, baked into the classroom learning experience. The idea of these collaboration tools, it goes right back to what we were talking about in terms of the skills the students are interested in. Project-based learning, again, that actually supports that student vision for learning. Tools that help facilitate student-teacher communications, that has been a reoccurring theme over the past couple of years about the value of communication with one's teacher. Um, with all the emphasis on coding and computer science and computational thinking and programming, it was interesting for us this year to see that 47% of middle school and high school students saw those as important tools to have within their future class. Along with online tutors, and then a third of students are already talking about virtual reality experiences and having the hardware and necessary supports for that. So again, it does bring us back to the student vision for effective learning. We can see there in the aspirations of the students, we can see there in their evaluation around the technology that they're using, and even the types of skills that they're thinking about. We can see elements of this student vision, whether it's the socially based learning experience, the untethered um, experience of having access to a world of knowledge and information, connecting the dots, uh, Asa talked about connecting the dots in terms of uh, the content being contextually rich, and then also having the opportunity to self-direct some of their learning 
Finley just mentioned that in our last segment. But I've got some more questions for the students. So Regina, let's shut down the deck again. Students, come join me again in our conversation space here, where we're gonna learn some more from you about your perspectives on some of the topics that we're talking about. And for my folks in the audience, please know that I'm gonna do a little bit of conversation with the students. We're gonna have some questions from the audience that we're gonna take, but um, I'm gonna take my privilege as the moderator of today to save the last question to come from me for the students. All right, students, so I just talked again about this quote unquote student vision of effective learning. Talked about the socially based learning, untethered learning, digitally uh, rich or contextually relevant learning, and then also the opportunity to have some level of independence. What do you think of those four components? Is there one of those or two of those that seem most important to you? What would you say is most important in terms of thinking about an effective learning environment for you? Go ahead, Asa. I think um, the most important, or I guess the uh, the learning style I identify with the most is probably the contextually based learning. I'm um, having um, examples, having it be relevant to what's happening, so I can see it and then do it is very very beneficial. It's just it's it's being able to see someone do something and then have me recreate it is just so much better than just saying, hey, do this. I'm telling you how to do this. You know, I think being able to see what's happening is, is, is very important. That's great, Asa. Thank you so very much for sharing that. Students, some other perspectives? Uh, Bailey and then Finley. Go ahead, Bailey. I think um, socially based learning is better for me because it's like with your peers and your um, your fellow classmates and you can hear their ideas or their opinions on the topic that you're learning about, which can help you have more of an open mind of what you're learning. Oh, that's interesting, Bailey, that, the, that getting that input from your classmates actually changes your way of thinking. It definitely helps with other people's opinions and ideas. Great. Thank you, Bailey. Finley, I think your hand was up, right? Um, I definitely think socially I agree with Bailey because, like, if you have one idea, like, it's better to have, like, five ideas because what if there's one not, you could say, better, but one that's more inclusive to other people and more people would like? Because all ideas are great. Um, but I feel like having, like, more of an open mind and maybe you had a really good idea, but someone adds to it. So then you can combine your two ideas and that just makes it funner if it's like for an assembly or something like that. Great, thank you so much, Finley. Um, students, when you look at those four different characteristics, does, does anything resonate with you in terms of, oh, that's the way this class is, that this class that I'm taking or that you've taken in the past had those sort of elements? Finley, right away, go ahead. I would say ASV is definitely socially because we all have our ideas and like for assemblies, for spirit days, for everything, 
we all have to put our ideas in and then we like vote or maybe we like collaborate our ideas and we make posters and things like that. I feel like ASV is definitely socially um, a big part of learning and yeah. That's probably why it's your favorite class, right, Finley? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, Lane, weigh in on this. I'd say that my history class is also very socially based. We do a lot of um, like just group discussion just to get the ideas flowing. Like, for example, if, like if he's asking us, like if he's like trying to direct our learning, like by asking us questions and we're all kind of dry, then we'll just talk to each other. We'll have us talk to each other for a little bit to just to get things going. We do a lot of, um, we also collaborate on a lot. Like we do these sort of tables that have like different sections of the content we're learning and we'll collaborate on those and work to fill them out together. Great, thank you. Thank you, Lane. Really interesting. Do you, um, students, when you think about, I shared that list of what students nationwide aggregate together, told us were the types of skills that they think they're gonna need for the future. What type of skills do you think about that you need to develop or nurture or learn about in your school environments that will help you be successful in the future? Finley? Um, definitely socially, because you're definitely going to work with people when you're older. Like you're not going to be, it's not going to be just you. So you have to learn the skills of how to work with people and them to also work with you. So too bossy or like you're quiet and they don't like you you want to have the like the perfect match so you guys both get along and you can make the best out of what you guys are doing together that's fabulous thank you Finley. thank you for sharing asa go ahead jump in um i think thinking back to that um that list that you had him i believe learning on your own or learning to learn on your own was the top answer uh if i'm right and i i couldn't i couldn't agree more on that I think being able to uh, seek ideas, pursue interests, and learn by yourself on your own independently is very, very important um, in school, in work, in life in general, because you, you're not going to have someone holding your hand or teaching you through it all the time. Sometimes even the person who's supposed to be holding your hand won't be. They'll be very uncooperative and un unhelpful. Um, or maybe you just want to learn about something and pursue it on your own. And I think just being able to know where to look, how to look for it, and how to pursue your interests and goals is just so very important. That's great, Asa. Thank you so much for sharing that. Bailey? I definitely think that um, time management is a big thing for your future. Um, like you need to have a time in your day for like homework and like to take a shower, eat and get on time places. Like personally, I hate it when I'm not on time. It just makes me like go crazy. Um, so that's definitely why I think time management is a very good skill to learn for your future and just in general. Bailey, is there anything in your school environment that's helping you learn time management? Definitely my teachers help with that. Um, sometimes they can really be demanding on how you need to schedule your time in your day, which can help a lot with that. 
and um, like just um, knowing like when you need to do a certain task or assignment or anything that someone needs. Lane? I wanted to build on what Bailey was saying, that um, at our school we have this sort of flex period uh, every day for 25 minutes. And on Mondays we'll schedule where we want to go. We you can pick from any classes that are being offered, but uh, for example, uh, my physics class, I'll often schedule that just because I need the extra time to just keep working. Like, the, not that I'm just, how to, I just enjoy having the time to be able to further work on whatever I need in my classes, or like I can schedule time in my English class to work on an essay or anything that I need. Great. So there's actually a level of independence with that, Lane, that's really kind of impressive. I, did, I didn't realize that about your school. That's super interesting. Um, so my next question, students, and then we're going to open it up, see what questions we have from our audience, is um, something that lots of educators are talking about. Lots of people all across the country are talking about generative artificial intelligence, AI. Have you had any opportunities to check out any of those products like ChatGPT or BART? Have you had any experience with any of that, either personally or as part of a class experience? Finley? Um, so we make yearbook covers um, in ASB and like there's a winning one and people are using AI and it's just really cool how it works. Like you can add like simple things like, like three words and it'll make like a whole picture out of it. It's just crazy. And then there's on Snapchat, there's an AI and like you can ask it any question and it answers it. And it's just crazy to think how that like technology came and how somebody thought of it. And I just, it's how it works and things like that. You seem excited by it, Finley. You think it's- It's just really cool. Like I don't get it. And it just like, you ask it a question and it responds. <laughs> I think that's probably true for many of us. Uh, Bailey and then Lane, I think I saw. Um, okay. Following up on Finley, the Snapchat, when AI was added, it was really cool. Cause like it would just like in three seconds answer any question that you had. And there's also like on TikTok, there are like AI filters where you put a couple words and it'll create like this cool picture. And like people are using AI to create like their fantasies or whatever and stuff like that. So I think it's really cool that people get to use that. So I have a follow-up question for Finley and Bailey, but I think Lane, you wanted to jump in on this too? Yeah, so I don't use AI very often, but I remember one time I used it to sort of kind of build on what I was learning. Um, I'll try and keep this pretty high level. Um, my grandmother asked me a question about her neighbor's dog was given a, um, it was aluminum hydroxide, a compound to help take, to help, yes, they, the dog had a pancreas infection, it was to reduce phosphate levels in its blood. And she was asking why the aluminum hydroxide was able to help get rid of that phosphate. And this was something that I wasn't, I didn't know, and I couldn't find it online very easily. But with ChatGPT, I found that it's because it forms this collation structure, which is very strong and very stable. And that was something I'd never learned about. And I checked, and that's, that is pretty accurate. So it helped me find 
content that I was struggling with. That's super interesting, Lane, because my next question was going to be, how do you know that what you're seeing, be it coming from artificial intelligence or anything else that you see online, how do you know that that's accurate? How are, your, how are you students doing that sort of assessment on the information that's being provided to you? Go ahead, Lane. It's honestly pretty difficult. The best, the only real way is that if you're asking like fact-based questions that you just have to verify the information yourself, that one, that it's logically sound, and two, you just have to use Google and other resources to verify that this is at least plausible but it's never, you can never really know if it's accurate. It's just not, it's just not possible. Other thoughts on that? Go ahead, Finley. Um, like Lane said, like, I think you said, like, you couldn't find the answer by just looking it up. So you went to chat GPT. It's just, like, if you can't find something, it's how you go to AI and they give you the answer, like, straight away. Like, I never thought of doing it like that. Like, if I have to research something for a class and I can't find it, I keep on researching it and trying to figure out, like, maybe adding, like, looking it up differently, and I just can't find it. But um, it's a crazy idea how you can just go to AI, and they will give you the exact answer, like, in a second. Other thoughts? Are your teachers talking to you about AI? Is anyone talking about AI in your classes? What What are they saying, Asa? Um, I have not had like any experience at all. I don't think with AI. AI is just not talked about or used really much in my school. It's just not something that's brought up, used, or incorporated in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Um, maybe sometime in the future it will be, but just now, um, uh, I don't, I don't trust it because it's not like, you know, a person doing it. It's a computer and I'd much rather, you know, just, just off of just instinct, gut feeling. I'd much rather trust something that a person says than computer. Just my thoughts. Okay. Yeah. Good personal thoughts. Love it. Go ahead, Finley. Um, the one thing, it was my LA teacher. He talked about AI because we were writing short stories and he was like, this short story is too perfect from what I know. Like everyone has flaws and it's like, so the only thing he could come to was it was written by AI. And that's crazy. Like in my Snapchat AI, like a month ago, I looked up, I said like write a full like, essay about koalas and they gave me like, like a two page essay. It's crazy how they, like there's many ways that you can just cheat using AI. So I think that's a flaw because like it's better to just do your work because AI might have flaws in it too. Good, a good perspective to have. All right, we're going to hear from Lane and Bailey and then we're going to go to our audience questions. Lane first. In my school, my teachers have only spoken about AI in a negative way. Not that it's bad necessarily, but they've never, it's always been don't use AI for this. Like, it's never been in a positive manner, I guess. Yeah, Bailey? Yeah, my teachers don't have really talk about AI um, at my school, but it's definitely, there are flaws about it. Like there was a time where it first came out on um, like Snapchat, people were trying to like 
break it and see if it was like a real person like stalking you but um there, yeah because there's definitely flaws with ai and that you could easily easily cheat with it like i've searched up a fa- like an answer a few times but i didn't know exactly if like it was correct so i had to like go search it up on like and do research more about it to not just get the answer straight away interesting well, audience, as you can imagine, we could continue this AI conversation with these students for quite a while. I think it's a really interesting topic. But Lisa, I think we do have some questions from the audience. So I want to be respectful of the fact that they um, have provided us with some questions. So um, what are folks talking about out there in the uh, EdWeb chat? Well, I, I do want to just say, first of all, that they've just so appreciated have, uh, having all of you, Lane, Finley, Bailey, and Asa. I don't know if you've been able to see the chat at the same time um, during the presentation, but they are so appreciative to hear from you. I, I love hearing about how you like all so many different modes of learning at the same time. Uh, Asa, how much you've talked about using paper and pencil in addition to technology. Um, that's fantastic. And, and also the socially, you know, the social, you know, socially connected, because it's so important for us to, in this world, know other people's points of view and really want to be open and thinking about that. So I just loved hearing that. One, one question we had was, how do you feel when the technology doesn't work in school? And do you have any instances of, you know, when that has happened? And is it frustrating or do you roll with the punches? Like, how do you handle that, Bailey? It is definitely frustrating when that happens, especially if you're in the middle of, let's say, like a test um, to the point where you can't finish it and you have to come in after school and waste like your non-school time um, on a test that you could have easily finished in class. Okay. Go ahead, Asa. Asa. Um, yeah, uh, agreeing with Bailey, it, it, I mean, it's just very, really inconvenient, uh, when the internet goes out and there are assignments that you were supposed to do today, now you got to do them tomorrow on top of the assignments that you were supposed to do tomorrow. So now you just get double the work and it's just a big headache and it's uh, all that. The internet doesn't like go out very often, maybe like a day or two a month in my school. Um, but usually teachers can, uh, or at least my teachers can, you know, flip a switch and uh, switch to some paper and pencil activity relatively easily. So that, That's interesting, though. Uh, Lisa's probably thinking the same thing. I think that question is super interesting because it gets to this idea of have is the technology so integrated into the learning process that maybe for some folks it's hard to separate out if it doesn't work? So I think that that's really an interesting perspective. Uh, Finley, do you have something else to add? Um, yeah, there's so many flaws in technology and like it's not perfect at all. And like last year with SBA testing, like it couldn't open up correctly. So like for an hour, a lot of kids were just sitting there while other kids were doing it because they were in one. But like I couldn't get in for an hour. So then if I didn't finish, I'd go to the library and that just took up more of my time. And I miss class. So that means I have to make up the classwork at home. And then also the kids that got in first, they didn't have to do it, like make up, make it up and they got to finish the class. 
Gosh, I can see how that could be a frustrating situation. Thank you, Finley, for sharing that example. Lisa, do we have another question? I think, Lane, did you want to make a comment on this one too? Yeah, I was going to say that in contrast to ASA, I find that most of my teachers are pretty forgiving about um, technology not working. It's, I find that oftentimes it's more of a strain on them than it is on us for technology to not work because it's just, it's kind of hard to flip lesson plans like that, I would imagine. Well, I was going to say that exactly because somebody posted in the chat about how teachers pivot nicely. However, if you are the teacher and you never know when that technology might fail, you feel like you need to be prepared at any moment. I mean, Julie, we've done that at presentations when the technology huh? goes out in the middle of a presentation. You got to have a joke in your back pocket, you know, to, to keep the a room, story uh, <laughs> with you right dur during that time. So um, I, I would be curious between how you feel the um, the Internet reliability is between school and home. Do you you know, you, I think you've all been talking about what happens if it goes out in school. Um, do you also have that issue at home? Is it more or less reliable at home when you have to do your homework? Yeah, Bailey. Um, yeah, it is definitely a little bit more reliable at home than at school because you're more in like near a Wi-Fi like box or whatever at home more than at school. Um, but there is also times where your home internet does go out and then you can't do your homework or your assignments and things like that. Anyone else on that one? I see Lane's hand is up, Lisa. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yes, Lane. I find that my home internet is a lot more reliable. I think even just conceptually, having a district, like we have some 8,000 students in our district, and each student has a phone, and each student has a Chromebook, and that's 20,000 devices, and then each teacher has a phone, and then each teacher has a, um, a smart screen. So then you have so many devices being routed through just one district that it's kind of hard to have the district be more reliable than just one home with maybe 10, 15 devices total. So Julie, this is a question for you, which came up earlier in the session, but is relevant to what we're talking about here from our friend, Sean, about you know how has E-rate funding impact the ability to make this transition and with um, what what the situation is now with additional E-rate funding and then with recommendations from the EdTech plan that you have coming out, um, what do you think this, the, the situation is going to be for funding to solve these problems in schools? Yeah, I think it's a really complicated conversation. You know, obviously we're coming out of an environment where there was so much state and federal funds that were being provided to schools and districts to support the continuity of learning during the pandemic. And so big investments were made. And so we are concerned about the drop off of that. And, you know, as we as I mentioned before, we have more devices than we ever have before. We have teachers valuations and aspirations for using technology are at an all time high so that we do have to be thinking about more creative ways not only to support our infrastructure, but also to think about the refresh of all those devices. What does it mean in terms of making sure that we have the right tools in the hands of students? And then, as I mentioned, I think we still have this homework gap at home. We still have 
more work to do to make sure that all students have access, not just to internet through a phone, but that something that's appropriate for a learning environment, something that's appropriate for learning tasks, something that's convenient, something that's in a safe environment. Those are the types of things that we've been talking about as the key characteristics. Um, so whether it's the E-rate and some of the new thoughts that the FCC has around that, there's been interesting conversations about that, or other uh, types of funding to support schools and districts. We can't put this genie back in the bottle, so we have to think about how we go forward with it. It's really an interesting, but potentially very complicated dilemma. And, you know, one of the first questions that was asked at the beginning of the presentation was on um, the neurological impact of screen time um, from infancy, you know, through mid-20s when brains are more fully developed. I, I'd, you know, be interested related to this question. I mean, I think this question here was around the research, Julie, but I think also just for you all as students, you know, how do you all feel about the amount of time you spend on a screen, what you observe from your friends, you know, and their use of screen time, the addictive aspects of it? And I mean, do you try to moderate that for yourselves in any way? How are you thinking about that? Finley, do you want to go first on this? Go ahead. Yeah, start with Finley and then Bailey. Um, I would definitely say I spend too much time on my phone and my laptop. Like I'm always checking it to see if I get a notification. And it's just really, really addicting. And I should really like cut down, but like I just can't. And I like all my friends. Like we also we all spend a lot of time on our phones, and we we like all we're all doing it. We're like, oh my gosh, we're on it too much. It's just so addicting to check notifications, send people snaps, go on TikTok, watch like Netflix, and like. It's just like your way out of everything. And if you're bored, first thing you think of is go on your phone. Like you don't think of, oh, go outside, oh, bake something. It's always just go on your phone, watch something, call someone, text someone. Like it's just hard to moderate. Bailey. Yeah, I definitely spend way too much time on my phone. But um, my mom has like this like thing where she can turn off all my apps and I can't go on it anymore, which is frustrating for me but then i just go onto my computer and watch netflix for hours and hours and it's really not good but i just can't help it i guess all right let's there's some good self-awareness yeah yeah well there is there's a lot of self-awareness here uh asa do you want to lane. chime in on this one i think lane raised his hand lisa oh eight lane go ahead i wanted to build on what finley was saying about it's much easier to just, it's just more convenient to open your phone if you're bored than to go outside or do something. It's just always there. It's always in your pocket. It's always on you. It's hard to not use it. Thank you. Thank you, Lane. Uh, Lisa, I've got a final question for the students, and then we're going to wrap things up here. With that sounds good. Resources. I think we're pretty much through the questions that yeah. we had. Yeah. Great. So students, here's my final question for you. Uh, so let's assume for a moment that you were each invited and, and you've been so articulate, I can't believe this wouldn't happen to you, but let's say you've been invited to be on some type of a school committee 
maybe invited by your principal, maybe invited by a group of teachers, to give some recommendations, to give some ideas on how school could be improved so that all students have the very best opportunity for learning. What sort of recommendations would you bring forward to this school committee? What would you share as your ideas in terms of how to improve school for all students? Finley, we'll start with you. Um, I definitely think more inclusive activities, like like Asia said, like he loves being included. And I feel like teachers should include people more because like, I know some of my teachers, they just tell us what to do, we go do it. And we're not, they don't show us. And, or sometimes they just talk for the whole period and we're not, we don't get to do anything, it's not fun. So I like Lane where he had like 25 minutes of just like a, period we could where he could go to any teacher to clarify things you sometimes you don't get things you go to the class and the teacher's like oh yeah we have to do this talk to me after class but you don't have time after class because you have a school sport or something so I feel like definitely like an extra like 20 minutes just to go to class like probably not in middle school but in high school I feel like that's a really good idea great idea Finley thank you uh Asa go ahead um, to improve school and learning, I would definitely highly, highly, highly encourage hybrid learning, a mix of technology and hands-on paper and pencil type stuff. Uh, because, you, you know, if you, if you go with one extreme, if you do just technology and virtual stuff, there's going to be someone that there's going to be students and teachers that can't do it very well, that just aren't very engaged with it. And on the flip side, if you do all paper and pencil stuff, all hands-on stuff, there are some students or teachers that just won't work well with it. Um, so I think that blending both styles together of technology and hands-on learning uh, is, uh, in my opinion, I think the best way to get students to learn, to reach the most the highest number of students and teachers that way. Love that, Asa. We got some kudos in the chat from our attendees on that also. Okay, Bailey, you're up. Um, I think a way um, to improve school would be more like lunchtime activities that you could do to gather like the whole school together and play like a dodgeball game or like do chalk on um, like the sidewalk. Um, and like just do more collaborative things with everyone so you get to know everyone in your school and not just in your classes. Oh, that's really interesting. That goes back to what you were talking about, about the socially based learning, Bailey. Uh, definitely part of that. Any other suggestions or ideas in terms of things you want to share? Uh, Lane? So I was thinking about how sort of what Along the lines of what Asa was saying about using hybrid learning, I find that sometimes students' needs are just not being individually met with certain ways with certain ways of teaching. But it's also difficult to individually meet students' needs because you have such large classes. And sometimes when you're like, let's say that some students are doing an assignment on um, online and other students are doing it on paper simultaneously, I find that sometimes you can lose collaboration and that socially based learning when you're having students doing different things 
as a way to get them to meet their own needs. So like if they're learning different content would be a better example. I'm not sure. No, you're absolutely right, Lane. It's a little difficult, it's a little tricky to manage that. You want to personalize, but you also want to have the opportunity for collaboration and socially based learning. Finley, a final comment? Um, like Bailey said, like having people get more together. Just like I know in my school, there's a ton of friend groups, and like I sort of stick with mine. And in class, if, if people in my friend group are in the class, I go with them. I don't try and talk to other people. I sort of stick with the people I know. And I feel like like I really want to get to know like everyone in my school, and I want to get to like become friends with them. So I feel like activities so everyone knows everyone, and everyone gets to be friends with everyone, and not just stick in your own little circle. Very good point. Uh, folks, we're just about at the end of our time together. I'm sure that you will probably all agree with me. We could go for another hour, hour and a half, another four hours with these students, picking their brains, getting their good ideas. But I am very cognizant of the fact that they all need to be in class, that we have pulled them out of class for today. So uh, please join me. Uh, you can do so in the chat and congratulating these fabulous students, Lane, Finley, Bailey, and Asa for sharing their authentic feedback with us today and hopefully inspiring all of us uh, to address some of the challenges that we face in terms of improving education for all students. So thank you so very much to my fabulous panel that's here with me. I have just a couple closing slides, folks, with some additional resources for you before we say goodbye for today. Uh, as I said, I had promised to share some things with you. Uh, once again, if you have not already uh, taken a look at the resources that are available on tomorrow.org, please do so. We do keep a nice repository there of our reports, our um, briefings, our presentations, and our infographic. And in fact, as part of today's briefing, we are releasing a brand new infographic on some of the national student data. So you'll be able to find that there. I also want to let you know that today is another big day for us at Project Tomorrow because today is opening day for Speak Up, uh, actually, it's Speak Up 2324, uh, opens up today. Uh, so all the surveys are currently available for students, teachers, parents, and school leaders. Uh, if, you're, if you're from a school or a district, you can utilize those surveys for free. We collect all the data for you. We give it back to you in organized reports and then also give you access to tools in terms of how to, once again, translate that research into actual practice. In addition, folks, I did want to remind you that we are releasing these four new national reports. I want to give a wonderful shout out to my friend Julia Fallon, who has been with us here today for today's congressional briefing. I will be at the CETA Ed Forum and we'll be releasing that student data report as the first one out of the box for us. You can sign up to receive the entire series of reports here at tomorrow.org slash speakup slash 2023 reports slash a uh, big thank you, of course, to all of our wonderful sponsors who make this project possible, not only at the national level, but the school or district level. And thank you, thank you, thank you, Lisa, again, for all the wonderful support from EdWeb, having this opportunity to bring the voices and views of students and the background data research to help other folks improve schools as well. 
So, uh, Julie, thank you so much. And really, thank you, Asa, Bailey, Finley, and Lane. It just this is my favorite thing is when we can hear from students about your experiences and help us learn from you how we can all be better. I know everybody appreciates that. So I hope you enjoyed it <laughs> as well as we enjoyed hearing from you. Um, Julie, I know you're going to have a nice celebration this evening in Washington, D.C. tonight, too. So congratulations on 20 years of this research. I mean, it's so important to help us know where we've come from and give us a little bit of a hint of where we might be going. Thank you so much, folks. It was great having everyone here. And again, kudos to our fabulous students and to the educators and the leaders that made it possible for you to miss class and join us today. <laughs> Thanks yeah. so much. We hope you enjoyed this EdWeb podcast. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information.